You're listening to sermon audio from Grace Mosaic, a congregation of the Grace DC Network in Northeast DC. For more information about our church, visit us online at gracemosaic.org. When I became a teenager and got my driver's license, I was very excited about the new freedom that was ahead of me. But before I took my Buick Century out there into the world (laughs) to enjoy that freedom. My dad, Russell D. Whitfield Sr., called me into his office for a talk. When I came into the office, I could tell this wasn't going to be an ordinary conversation. He had a certain tone about him. So I sat down. My dad looked at me and he said, I want you to understand something, Junior. You got some new freedom now. And I know you're excited about that. But I want you to remember that no matter where you go, no matter what you do, no matter how you talk, you're doing it with my name on you. You're wearing my name. Remember who you are. Because if you go out there And you act a fool, and I mean any kind of fool, and you drag my name and my reputation through the mud, and then there was this pregnant pause. (laughs) He just let it marinate like that for a second. Then he said, it's going to be me and you. And I knew exactly what that translated into. Now, early on in the Exodus narrative, The the Lord called Israel his firstborn son. And after the Lord freed Israel from slavery in Egypt, the people were very excited about the new freedom that was ahead of them. But before the Lord sent his people out into the world, he brought them to Sinai for a talk. And based upon the tone of what was happening at Sinai, the people could tell this, this was no ordinary talk that they were going to get from the Lord. And essentially what the Lord says to his people is this. You have a new level of freedom, my people. But I want you to remember that no matter where you go, no matter what you do, no matter how you talk, when you do all those things, you're going to be doing them while you're wearing my name. Remember who you are. Because if y'all go out there and act a fool, and I mean any kind of fool, and you drag my name and my reputation through the mud, there are going to be covenantal consequences. We have been working through a series on the Ten Commandments, and that series is called The Rule of Love. If you recall, we have said that the Ten Commandments are all about love. And if you take each of the commandments... All ten of them, they're like ten different perspectives on the life of love. And today, as we continue through our series, we come to the third commandment, which says, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. And we're going to approach this text through two points, where we consider shaming the name and reclaiming the name. Shaming the name and reclaiming the name. So let's look at our first point, shaming the name. Many Old Testament scholars conclude that the book of Malachi 
took place during the Persian period. And this was a particularly difficult time for God's people. Because after a brief season of optimism, where they came back from exile, and they had begun to rebuild the temple, there was a a season of significant discouragement in the lives of God's people. Because it seemed like they were off the map. It seemed like they were no longer uh, really a part of something really exciting. They were still licking their wounds. And soon they grew discouraged. And then doubt followed. And then after that, moral failure followed. And Malachi, like all of the prophets, is devoted to the work of covenant renewal. He wants to bring the people back to the heart of the covenant so that they will live again as God's people and bear witness to the world. He wants to bring Israel back to covenant obedience and faithfulness. And I want us to see what's going on with the people here in the book of Malachi uh, so that we can get an understanding of Malachi's framing of the situation, which speaks directly to the third commandment. It speaks directly to our subject for today. If you look at the text at verses 2 through 5, the Lord declares that he loves his people with a love that is proven by his election of his people. But what we see is that his people doubt his love. They say, how have you loved us? And essentially what the Lord says to them is, I have loved you not only by choosing you as my people, setting my electing love on you, but I have also won victory over your enemies in such a decisive way that they will never rise again. That's exactly what's happening in verses 2 through 5. I've set my love on you, and I've defeated your enemies so that they will never plague you again. Yet the people continue to question the Lord's love. In verse 6, if you take a look at it, we learn that the priests have failed to give the Lord the honor and reverence that is due his name as Father and Lord of Israel. And in addition, the text tells us that they have despised his name by offering polluted food upon his altar. That's verse 7. They were taking the blind, the lame, and the sickly animals from their flock, and that's what they were using for their sacrifices to the Lord. There's some kind of arrangement, obviously, where the people are bringing these faulty animals, and the priests are accepting them. They are giving the Lord the crumbs, so to speak. And the Lord essentially says, you would never dream of bringing such offerings to your governor. To to put it in contemporary parlance, you would never dream of giving these gifts to the IRS. And yet, you feel like somehow that I'm going to accept your bootleg offerings and be happy with them? In verse 10, the Lord says that he wishes somebody would shut the doors to the temple so that they could no longer kindle fire on his altar in vain. He is indignant that such worship can be thought of as acceptable by his people. That they would feel like it's acceptable to bring him inferior worship, inferior offerings, and that they can just kind of give him the crumbs off of their table. In verse 12, we learn that by their actions... 
The priests suggest that they can safely profane the Lord's name and despise the food offerings with impunity. In verse 13, we hear the response of the priests to the correction that the prophet brings. What a weariness this is. Oh man, is it really time to go to church? Do we really have to do this service project? Do we really have to come listen to this child protection policy? Hey. They scoff at the Lord's expectation. But if we look at the hints, yeah, that's just a quick overview of the text. But if you look at the hints that are in the text that Malachi drops, we see the core problem, the central issue of covenant breaking in this passage. But it's important for you to see that it's not just covenant breaking in general. It's not just covenant breaking in a generic way. Look at the hints that Malachi drops. There is no honor and no reverence for the Lord. They despise my name. They kindle fire on the Lord's altar in vain. In contrast to what is happening in this text, the Lord says that there's a day coming when my name will be great among the nations. It continues and says that the priests profane the Lord's name. They scoff at the suggestion that the Lord deserves better. And the passage ends with a statement from the Lord. For I am a great king and my name will be feared among the nations. Can you see how Malachi is framing the problem here? This is not just covenant breaking in general or in a generic way. They are specifically breaking the third commandment. They are taking the Lord's name in vain. When we think of taking the Lord's name in vain, more often than not, we think of sinful speech, where we use the Lord's name in anger when we're cursing, cussing, or uh, we use the name's Lord irreverently in the context of joking in a flippant manner. And that is taking the Lord's name in vain. Don't make a mistake. That is taking the Lord's name in vain. But the, 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 the idea of taking the Lord's name in vain is much richer and fuller than just sins with respect to our speech. Behind the English translation, take the Lord's name in vain, is the Hebrew verb nasah which can be translated to take, to carry, or to bear. And I think a more helpful translation for understanding this commandment is you shall not bear the Lord's name in vain. This translation, along with the context here, helps us to see that this command is about more than how we speak with respect to God's name. It's about how we live as bearers of the name and how our lives reflect on him for better or for worse. The Lord had put his name on his people. They were bearing his name. And in bearing his name, there is an implicit claim to be representing him. There's an implicit claim. Whenever you bear his name, you are implicitly claiming to represent him. 
to represent his greatness, to represent his character, to represent his ways, to represent his ethic, to represent his moral framework. Their identity was to be the people of God. And they took that identity with them wherever they went. But they took their freedom and they went out and acted a fool. And they dragged the Lord's name and reputation through the mud. They trivialized his name and diluted his name of its rich significance. When God's people take his name in vain, we assassinate his character and flout his majesty. I want you to think about this. Over the last few years, there has been heightened media attention to a particular group of people. And that group of people, they take a badge and they put it on. And they claim to be representing justice. And many of them have transgressed justice by using their power to shoot people, to exact violence on people in an unjust way. And what has happened? It has given a particular reputation to law enforcement all over the place. Now, if you talk to our brothers, Chris Saunders and Duncan Bedlian, who are law enforcement in our community, if you ask them, how do you feel about that? I promise you they would be indignant about what those people have done to the name of law enforcement. We recognize that when those, those officers behave in that way, they bring a bad rap to a group of people that want to be known for justice and right, righteousness and equity. In a similar way, this is what happens when Christians live outside of our calling. We bring the reputation of the Lord into ill repute. We make him a stench. We make him, as the prophets would say, a byword, a source of chuckling and jokes. A simple question gets to the heart of the third commandment. And here's that question. I want you to take this question and I want you to run it through your own lives. This is, a, this is our early application, okay? This is the question I want you to run through your life. Does the Lord get glory by association with me or guilt by association with me? Does the Lord get glory by association with me or does he get guilt by association with me? To put that question another way, am I bringing glory to the name or shame on the name? And I think there are a number of ways that we break the third commandment in our contemporary moment. There are a number of ways. I mean, there are, there are a lot of ways to break the third commandment. And I want to highlight a few that I think are particularly important for us to consider. I think the first way that we break the third commandment is through hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is probably the most terrible and subtle form of breaking the third commandment. Hypocrisy is performative spirituality. It's performative spirituality in which we're more interested in looking good than actually being good. We'd rather look good to people on false premises than actually be good in the eyes of God and in the eyes of those who know us. Think about the impact that Christian hypocrisy in this country has had on the Lord's reputation. 
What's the public sentiment about Christians these days in America? When the people who claim to be saved by grace live in the disgrace of self-righteousness, when the people who claim to follow a holy God treat his word with indifference and carelessness by embracing ideas that are foreign to scripture, and when we misrepresent or misinterpret scripture to try and make it say what we wish it would say, when people who claim to follow the humble Christ are swollen with pride, can't tell them nothing, when the people who claim to be seeking the Lord are really seeking power. Hypocrisy is when you bear the name of the Lord without bearing the heart of the Lord. It's when you bear his name, but you don't share his heart. That's when you find yourself in hypocrisy. We break the third commandment through hypocrisy. Another way that we break the third commandment, and I want y'all to hear me today. Is through timidity. Through timidity. We break the third commandment through timidity. When we're afraid of identifying as Christians. Sure, you bear the name on Sunday mornings in church. But because of the reputation of some Christians and the discredit that they have brought on the name, you're afraid to identify as a Christian Monday through Saturday and you cast off the name because of embarrassment. As understandable as that may be, I want you to understand something. In these scenarios where we are timid about identifying as a Christian, in these scenarios, you're actually more interested in preserving your own reputation than you are in preserving his. Because you could be a part of reclaiming his reputation for your neighbors. But when you choose to uphold and protect your own reputation rather than his, through timidity, you break the third commandment. It's taking the Lord's name in vain, bearing his name for nothingness and emptiness and fruitlessness. We take the Lord's name in vain when we join him to causes that misrepresent him diminish him, or marginalize him. And the most obvious example of this in our context is politics. It's politics. Both conservative and progressive Christians do this in their own ways, leading others to identify the Lord with a particular political party or a particular political agenda. And you have to remember that the Lord in the scriptures, does not align himself with Republicans or Democrats. It plainly says that the Lord is a great king who cannot be fit into anybody's political box and who must not be used as a tool in anybody's political advantage-making. That subtle idea where you say, well, if you're really a Christian, you'll vote this way. That's that's taking the Lord's name in vain because you are joining him to causes that he has not stated he has joined himself to. And it really marginalizes him because then he becomes a cog in the political apparatus rather than Lord of all. We break the third commandment when we break our word, when we lie. 
when we swear oaths that we do not keep. We break the third commandment when we put words into God's mouth, claiming that we are speaking for him when the things we're saying are nowhere to be found in Scripture. Any way that our life mischaracterizes our God or distorts his word or brings him guilt by association with us is breaking the third commandment. When we break the third commandment, we bring shame and reproach on the name of the Lord. And this obscures his holiness. It obscures his goodness. It obscures his love and his faithfulness and his truth or some other aspect of his character. And I think this is perhaps the greatest sin of American Christians. It's taking the Lord's name in vain. I've heard word that out there, everyone's waiting for their particular commandment to hit. <laughs> Spoiler alert. All ten of them jack all of us up all the time. Okay? Now, I may be more or less successful in communicating that. But the fact of the matter is the law weighs, lays waste to all our pretensions of being righteous. The third commandment is all about a love for God that is expressed and bringing honor to his name. Anybody who truly loves the Lord will be zealous to set the record straight about who he is. If you hear people talking trash on your spouse, if somebody talks some trash on me to Vanessa, them earrings going to come off. She's going to be, right? That's completely understandable. She better fight somebody for me. I know if you come talking trash to me about my wife, there's going to be some furniture moving off of here, right? How much more when our God is slandered or his name is brought into ill repute? I mean, a dog barks when its master is attacked. How much more should the sons and daughters of the Lord be quick to speak on his behalf? I'm not talking about getting nasty with people. I'm not talking about being contentious or always ready to fight people. But ready to be like, you know what? I, actually, you're speaking from very limited information. That's not how the Bible portrays God. And you know, there are people who fail to represent him all the time. I fail to represent him all the time. That's what we mean when we say nobody's perfect. But the conclusions that you have drawn are false. And you're slandering the God of the Bible. I would invite you to think about it a different way. Boom, 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 boom. There are all kinds of ways to respectfully dialogue with your neighbors while upholding the reputation of your God. That's an opportunity for witness. So throw off timidity. Throw off hypocrisy. Listen, let me tell you something. If you identify as a Christian but you really don't want to be about that life, can I give you some relief? Just stop. Remember what Elijah said. Stop limping between two different opinions. If the Lord is God, follow him. If something else, follow it. You're not doing yourself any favors because all you're doing is giving yourself a bunch of busy work to do. You're not getting any credit for it. You're not getting any credit for it. So either get serious with him 
or just forget it altogether. Because if it's not true, we of all people are most to be pitied. That's what Paul said about the resurrection. This is about reclaiming the name of the Lord. This is God puts us on alert to not take his name in vain. We have done that. But that's not the final word. It is possible by the grace of God to reclaim the name of the Lord, to restore a right view of his character through our lives. And this brings us to our final point, reclaiming the name, reclaiming the name. Though Israel and her priests had brought shame on the name of the Lord in their day, though they dragged the name of the Lord and his reputation through the mud by acting a fool, the prophet Malachi saw a new day coming. Did you see it in the text? Verse 11, for from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. And in every place, incense will be offered to my name and a pure offering. For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. And that day would arrive when the true Israelite and the true priest came into this world. Jesus would bear the name of the Lord in the beauty of loving obedience. And his life would be a perfect reflection of the character of the Lord in his glory, his kindness, his love and grace, his patience and wisdom. Every facet of the life of Jesus declared the manifold excellencies of the Lord. And as Jesus endured his state of humiliation for our redemption, you know what he could have said? There were many days putting up with these knucklehead disciples, bearing with their sins, dealing with his opposition, where he could have said, what a weariness this is. But for the joy set before him, he endured the shame and he endured the pain in order to bring many sons and daughters home to glory, restoring the reputation of the Lord through his person and work. Not only did Jesus show us how a human life is meant to bear the name of the Lord and give him glory, he also became the pure offering of Malachi's text to cover the failure of repentant sinners who have brought shame on the name of the Lord. And Christ sent his spirit to reclaim the name of the Lord in the lives of his people, to do such a work of transformation in our lives that we can return to our calling as his faithful representatives, those who bear his great name with dignity and reverence and love and joy, adorning the gospel of our God. He can set us free from hypocrisy. He can set us free from timidity and any other practices by which we take the Lord's name in vain. The good news of the gospel, y'all, is that though the third commandment condemns the best of us, Jesus saves the worst of us. He doesn't just save us from the penalty of sin. He saves us from the power of sin so that we can bear the name of the Lord with holy reverence and love and gratitude and honor and thoughtfulness and intentionality and integrity. The Lord is saying, 
you bear my name. So in the world, bring my name to bear. You bear my name. So in your life, bring my name to bear. In all of its glory, bring my name to bear. In all of its power, bring my name to bear. In all of its significance, bring my name to bear. Pray in my name. Serve in my name. Bless in my name. Baptize in my name. Boast in my name. Because my name is the name above all names. Because my name is the name that there is no greater name than under heaven. The name by which people can be saved. Because the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. And every tongue confess that he is Lord. To the glory of God the Father. Bear his name in the world. Because he bears your name in heaven as your great high priest. He put some respect on his name. Because he carries your name with tenderness. He's the great high priest who has engraved your name on the stones and he carries you before the Father and pleads your case. Fixes up your busted prayers. Come on, y'all. Look at what he does to your name even though you don't deserve it. And then consider what you ought to do to his name because he does deserve it. Bless his name because he has honored your name by writing it in his book of life. May the name of the Lord be glorified in us. I want to give you a few things to take away. One and two. One and two. The first one. I want to encourage you to listen for the voice of the Spirit through the Scriptures. And come to God's Word hungry and humble. Hungry and humble. Which is to say... You cannot represent the Lord rightly if you don't know him. If you don't know his ways, if you, if you haven't absorbed the themes and, and the, the contours of the scripture, you're going to falsely assume that you haven't figured out and then you're going to misrepresent him. In order to faithfully bear the name, you got to know the word. And you got to approach the word with humility. Because, let's just be straight up. There's a reason why people have to put in a lot of work to understand the Bible. The Bible does not yield its fruit to the lazy. And you can't presume that you're going to have a sophisticated understanding of Scripture if you're not willing to really dig. Lots of people will rake, but raking gives you leaves. If you dig, you get a well that never runs dry. I want you to dig, and I want you to humble yourself before the Lord's word and to humble yourself before people who can teach you his word in greater depth so that you can think more clearly about theology and doctrine because it matters for bearing his name. It matters for how you encounter your neighbors and how you represent the Lord to your neighbors. You don't want to misrepresent him to your neighbors by telling them that there are things that are okay, that he's not okay with. Or telling him, presenting him in a way that, is, that doesn't really give you a sense of him. The second thing I want to encourage you to do, as opportunity arises, contend for the Lord's reputation. Even when it feels like your reputation is at stake. Why? Because the Lord will vindicate you and he will vindicate himself in due time. 
What can man do to me? Why should I fear? The Lord is my light and my salvation, Psalm 27. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked, even my enemies, came upon me to eat of my flesh, they stumbled and fell. (laughs) God has a way of dealing with those who are coming for his people. He promised in his covenant to Abraham, I'll bless those who bless you and those who curse you. I'll handle them. Don't be afraid. Speak for the Lord. Honor his name. Bless his name. Speak highly of him. And think about the, 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 the opportunity that you have to work for a symmetry between your profession and your actual life. It's in that symmetry, in that consistency between what we say about ourselves and how we live, that we have the opportunity to bring glory to his name. He is worthy of all the praise. There is no greater name under heaven by which people can be saved. So let us lift his name and honor it and dignify it. Let's pray. Thanks for listening to this podcast from Grace Mosaic. For more information about our church, visit us online at gracemosaic.org.